Um, so right on. So here we are again. Uh, we're in First Peter. Uh, let's let's get into it. So uh, last week, if you guys were here, uh, we talked about a couple of movies. Uh, we talked about The Matrix. We talked about Equilibrium, if you guys remember. Um, but apparently, it came to my attention uh, that some of you ladies weren't didn't quite appreciate, you know, the discussion surrounding these movies. Apparently, there's just too much action, not enough romance and love. So I thought I'd bring up a couple of love movies just to kind of even out the score here as we get into this study. So one movie for you ladies that was a great love story, and I'm sure many of you will agree, a great love story. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of an older movie, so maybe some of you haven't heard of it, but Rocky with Sylvester Stallone. That was, that was a great love movie, very romantic. I mean, come on. It, Adrian! Like, it was all, it was just a beautiful love movie. You know, that was a good one. Um, another great romantic movie, you guys might remember True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, that was just a movie about a marriage that was, you know, broken. And just this whole process of, of them coming back and reconciling together, it was, it was good. They, they, they got their love back. Um, Saving Private Ryan was another one. Saving Private Ryan, you know, just a story about a group of soldiers who were really in love with living, and they wanted to continue living. Of course, not all, not all love stories have a happy ending, though, so that was tragic. I'm just kidding. Um, but a good love movie, in, in all seriousness, a, a good love movie, in my opinion, I mean, it's not your, your typical love story, uh, like The Notebook, you know that one? Obviously, that one was pretty good. Um, what's another? What was another good love movie, a love story? Um, love and Basketball. Did you guys ever watch Love and Basketball? That was a good one. That was a good one. Um, but the one, the movie, love movie I'm talking about, it was a movie called uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. How many of you guys have heard of this one? It was a Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Yes. Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. It was a pretty good movie. It was really good, actually. It's one of my favorites. Um, spoiler alert, if any of you are interested in watching it at some point. So basically what this movie is, is um, Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey were in a relationship. They were in a dating relationship, and they broke up. And there's this company in this movie, there's this company that exists where they can go into your mind and erase certain memories. And so a lot of people go in like, like their dog died, and so... They, they go to this place to erase all the memories of their dog so that they don't have to live with the pain of not having their dog anymore. So in this movie, Kate Winslet, you know, gets this procedure done. She, all of her memories of Jim Carrey get erased because the, the relationship ended. And then Jim Carrey's character finds out that she did this, and so he's like, well, I'm going to do that too. You know, and he was like completely broken up about the relationship. He's like, I'm doing it too, like out of spite. And so they go in, they start to remove these memories of Kate Winslet's character from his mind. And as these memories are getting deleted from his, from his mind, he's, he's in his mind, he's just like, no, like, don't take this one away. Like, I don't want, I don't want this memory to go away. But, you know, that's, they, they went in there to do the job. Like, they do it while you're asleep. So it's like overnight type of thing. So he's unable to wake up. So all, all he can do is just stand by and, and witness all of his memories get swiped uh, regarding uh, Kate Winslet's character. And so they end up meeting again 
after both of their memories have been erased, after both each of them have been erased from each other's memories, they meet again, and by some you know, turn of events, they realize that this was their situation. Like, wait, you went to this place, and, and you, got, you had me deleted from your memory, and, and you, wait, so did you, and, and they realized all this stuff, and it's crazy. And at the end, um, they're, after this big old fight, all this stuff, the climactic part of the movie is, Jim Carrey's just like, like well, sh they're both like, should, should we do this? Because like, they, they ended up, like, when they met for the second time, they ended up like liking each other. Because obviously, like, if, they, if they got together the first time, there was something that they liked about each other. But over time, you know, relationships begin to deteriorate sometimes. And so they're just like, well, we must have been together for a reason. We must have started this relationship for a reason. And, and Kate Winslet's like, yeah, I know, but, but I know myself. And I'm going, like, I'm going to be this way and this way and this way. I'm going to get bored. I'm going to want to move on. And I'm, gonna, and I'm just going to be done with this relationship after a little bit. And, 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 and she's like, and you're also probably going to do things, the same things that caused us to break up the first time. And Jim Carrey is just like, who cares? Like, let's just do it. Let's just do it. And so it was, it was amazing because, like, it's, it's almost like the, the, that, that theme of it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, although I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, uh, with that message, that idea, because it's better to wait on the Lord uh, than to have pieces of yourself distributed amongst the land, you know, from all these broken relationships. But the idea of, of willingly stepping into something that you know is going to have struggle and hardship but in the end, it's worth it. It's kind of the theme that we'll be looking at tonight. So with that said, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses uh, 3 through 9. So 1 Peter chapter 1. The title of tonight's message is, I Got That Fire. Um, I don't know why, but that's just what the title is. I Got That Fire. And tonight, our points will be uh, the first point, inheritance. Uh, our second point will be rejoice. And our third point will be upward focus, upward focus. So before we get into that, let's, uh, let's pray once again. Father, thank you so much for bringing everybody out here tonight. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that your people would hear your word being preached, and that you would speak to them. I pray, God, that you'd be glorified, and I pray that we would walk out of this place different than how we came in. Um, if we're broken, I pray that you would begin fixing us. And um, yeah, God, just be glorified through this, through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's read 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's just go ahead and start in verse 1. And we're going to read uh, through verse 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the temporary residents dispersed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation, 
that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So after Peter's initial greeting to the believers that he's writing to, where he, he, where he basically reminds them of, of who they are, you know, he reminds them that they were elected by God, that they were sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and that they were redeemed by the Son, he makes sure to bring it all back to the one who made all of that possible. He says, blessed be the God and Father, which is another way of saying, praise the God and Father, or worthy to be praised is the God and Father. Now, this is such an important attitude for us to have in our daily lives, this attitude of bringing it all back to God, to glorify him. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul asks, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything we have and everything that we're able to do that is good comes from the Father. Hebrews 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So we need to have that attitude of recognizing who is worthy to be praised for everything that we have. And that attitude should pour out of us and be evident. You know, um, my wife, she recently got my son, uh, like, some toy dinosaurs. And uh, these aren't just regular dinosaurs. They're playing instruments. You know, so you got, like, the, the raptor playing, like, the drums, the triceratops playing, like, a saxophone, and, and uh, another one playing a trumpet. I, I'm actually, I don't even know if those are the exact dinosaurs that he has. Just, those are the only names I know. Uh, but... He, she got him these dinosaurs, and so obviously he loves them because he's totally into music right now. He's, he's totally into instruments and all that stuff. And so before every meal, he, you know, we, we taught him to pray and to thank Jesus for, for the food and to bless it and to purify it and all of that. And so as he's praying for his food before his, his dinner, he's like, you know, thank you, Lord, for the food and purify it, bless it, and thank you for my dinosaurs. And it's just, it's so awesome to me because my son, he's, he's getting a little older now. I'm, I'm able to have conversations with him to let him know, like, hey, dude, everything that we're given, it's from Jesus. Like, Jesus gives us everything. Everything that we have, it's because of Jesus. And I told him that, like, on Wednesday and on Thursdays when he prayed the way that he did, thanking Jesus for his, his dinosaurs, his new toy dinosaurs, giving glory back to God, you know, and that should be our attitude. You know, that's why you'll often hear people, even myself, like whenever, whenever we're complimented or, or, or given like a, an attaboy, like we're always just like, I'm like, praise God, like praise the Lord. Like, hey, it's not me. It's, it's not just good Christianese language. It's, it's a recognition of the source that the source of that thing that, it's, it's, that is being complimented and appreciated. You're not complimenting me when you're saying, when you're telling Ben, like, hey, man, good job with the worship. You're not complimenting Ben. You're, compliment, you're complimenting God because God is using Ben to do those things. So it's extremely important to have this attitude of giving, giving it all back to God, giving God all the glory. But back to verse 3, he says, uh, he says, blessed be the God and Father, Peter says. But Why? Why blessed be the God and Father? Why worthy to be praised is the God and Father? For what reason? Well, because he has caused us to be born again according to his mercy. As has been stated before, there, there is nothing we did 
to deserve God doing this for us. Absolutely nothing. We did nothing to deserve God's mercy towards us, causing us to be born again. He did it because he loves us, and he did it because of his mercy. Plain and simple. We can take no credit for God saving us and regenerating us. It's all him. And he saves us. He saved us. He regenerated us. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. I love that part in Phil Wickham's uh, song, Living Hope, uh, where he says, Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. We have a living hope, a living hope, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What hope do people in the world have? Like, like, actually think about this. Like, what actual hope do people have in the world without Jesus? When tragedy hits, when trials hit, what's their hope? Like, positive platitudes? Like, ah, oh, don't worry, man, it's going to get better. You know, you'll get through this. Things are going to look up. Things always get better. What is that? Like, what is that? Like, what is that? What does that mean? It's, it's, it's like a local anesthetic. You know, it numbs the area for a little bit, but it doesn't cure the pain. It doesn't provide a purpose for the pain. All it does is numb you for a little bit. But for us who are born again, regenerate people, we have the living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Because if even death can't hold me down, what else is there that could possibly hold me down? If even death can't hold you down, what else is there? Death is like the ultimate bad thing. And that doesn't hold you down because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's a living hope. There's nothing else. We have a living hope. And this living hope ultimately culminates in our inheritance in heaven. We're going to be in heaven one day. And it's, it's great that Peter uses that word, inheritance. Because oftentimes, specifically in times of struggle, I'm just going to be honest, I've often had the thought like, man, I wish my parents were rich. I wish they would have been rich. Like, why couldn't I have been born into a family that had like a bunch of wealth? You know, because then, then I'd be able to inherit everything, you know, after my parents left, you know. Anybody else ever have that thought? Yeah, yes, yeah, whoever says you're lying if you say you haven't had that thought. <laughs> Uh, but so I had that thought, but then I start to think about, you know, all the stories you hear of people who, who die and don't leave their wealth to their children. Like, you know, they donate it to charity. Great. You know, or or I've, I heard, I read a story, uh, a fashion designer gave a, like a bunch of his fortune to his cat. Like, first of all, like to a cat, come on, seriously. Like the, a cat is the last animal on earth that needs to have any kind of money. <sighs> Anyway, uh, but Peter uses the word inheritance. He uses the word inheritance because we're not going to heaven simply because we believe the right thing. We're going to heaven because in believing the right thing, we have become children of God. God is our father. We are, the, we are children of the king. We are children of the king of the universe. And, and because of that, we are in his last will and testament, so to speak. You know, we have an inheritance from God that we're going to get someday. 
And Peter says that this inheritance is secure. He says this inheritance is secure. Peter says that it's reserved for us in heaven. Now, this is where I think we need to pay special attention. So if I already lost you, come back. Come back. If I lost you already, if you're already like, eh, what's going on on Instagram, just come back. Just come back. What exactly are we inheriting? What exactly are we inheriting? What is the thing that we are inheriting because of our faith, which has resulted in our salvation? Well, here's something that may make you scratch your head. It's not heaven. Heaven is not the inheritance that we are one day going to receive. Heaven is not the inheritance. Peter says that this inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. So what is this inheritance? Like, how can our inheritance be heaven if it's reserved for us in heaven? So what is it? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Also, I recommend you guys having like a, a bookmark on 1 Peter. So whenever we flip to other you know, places in the Bible, you can just flip right back to 1 Peter. But Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to give some background before we get into it. You know, there was a man, for those of you who don't know, some Old Testament uh, info. There was a man named Jacob who God chose to be the father of the nation of Israel. Um, you guys know the country Israel, you know, so well, Jacob is their daddy. Everybody who is a Hebrew, uh, Jacob is their ultimate, ultimately their dad. And, but God actually changed Jacob's name to Israel. It was Jacob, but he changed it to Israel. And then Israel ended up having 12 sons. He ended up having 12 sons, and every single Hebrew can trace their lineage back to one of these 12 sons. Um, that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, or the, the 12 sons of Israel. These 12 tribes of Israel, they end up getting enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. They cry out to God. God hears them. He sends Moses to set them free and lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now, the land that they were going to be inheriting was going to be divided between the 12 tribes of Israel. Larger tribes would get larger pieces of land, and then the smaller tribes would get smaller pieces of land. Now, all of the tribes of Israel were given a piece of land except for one, except for one tribe, the tribe or the sons of Levi. The tribe of Levi, they didn't get a piece of land. It seems unfair, right? Why does everyone else get some land but not this one tribe of Levi? Well, let's read about this briefly in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verses 8 through 9. It says, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the Lord's covenant, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, and to pronounce blessings in his name as it is today. For this reason, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance like his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God told him. So the tribe of Levi, or the Levites, they didn't inherit any land, but what, they, but what did they inherit? Their inheritance was God, God himself. They didn't inherit a geographical location. They inherited God himself. In the same way, our inheritance isn't necessarily the geographic location of heaven. Our inheritance is God. We get God. God is our inheritance. Heaven is where he is. 
And the only reason that heaven is heaven is that God is there. Wherever God is, that's heaven. I've heard the question asked, would you be okay if when you got to heaven, if God wasn't there? Would you be okay with that? Are you looking forward to streets of gold, pearly gates, and the end of struggle? Or are you looking forward to being in the presence of the God who makes all of those things possible? Examine yourself. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourself to see if we are indeed in the faith. Where's your heart? Where is your heart? Who or what is your heart after? Is it after heaven or is it after the God who makes heaven heaven? Is it the blessings or is it the God of the blessings? Without God, the blessings aren't even there. You can't have blessings without God. So I hope your hearts are after God. And if, and if you're on the fence, if maybe you're on the fence, you know, maybe this will help push you to loving God more. Let's all go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Speaking in, in practical terms, what makes an inheritance uh, so desirable? Like, what makes an inheritance so desirable? If, if you ask me, it's that you're getting something basically for nothing. You're just, you're just getting something. You're getting a huge blessing, especially if the person leaving you the inheritance is wealthy. Nothing wrong with that. But even if it's not monetary, even if it's not a monetary inheritance, Sometimes what you inherit has great emotional value. Sometimes that's what you're inheriting. Some people, they pass down jewelry uh, that isn't necessarily valuable, but it has great personal value to the people who, who are passing it down. Some people pass down furniture. I imagine Ben, who, who plays the keys, uh, he's probably going to pass down his beaver skin hats one day, you know, because he, he values those things a lot. Maybe his suede boots, you know, he'll, he'll pass those down one day to his children. Um, but in general, an inheritance is usually very valuable to those involved. Very valuable to those involved. To the person who's passing it down and to the person who's receiving it, usually it's extremely valuable. Otherwise, why pass it down? So Peter tells us that our inheritance is God. Our inheritance is God, and we're going to inherit God, and that's extremely valuable to us. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, to see another inheritance. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. So verse 18 says, I pray that you will know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Our inheritance is God. We are going to get God. His inheritance, according to Ephesians 1.18, is you. That's his inheritance. And his inheritance, which is you, in his eyes, is rich in glory. Rich in glory. He has placed such a high value on you that he views you as a gloriously rich inheritance that he is waiting to ultimately receive when you inherit him in heaven. That's amazing. That's amazing. Why would we be viewed as a valuable inheritance? We're a mess. We're a mess. 
And if you don't think you're a mess, let me, you're a mess. Trust me, you're a mess. I don't know you personally, but I know enough about humanity that you're a mess. But God views you as valuable and he views you as an inheritance. And the only reason is it's, it's his calling. It's because of his calling. It's because of our faith. It's because we've been regenerated by the spirit. God sees us as holy in spite of ourselves. And he is looking forward to inheriting us in heaven. You are his inheritance. You are his inheritance. Man, if that doesn't make you feel some sort of amazing, I don't know what will. I really don't. I mean, like I, like I asked earlier, you ever wish that you were born into a rich family so that you could inherit the family wealth? Like, why do we sometimes wish for that? Why, do I some, like, why have I sometimes wished for that? Because practically speaking, if I were to inherit great wealth, that means I'd be able to free to live however I want, buy whatever I want, go wherever I want, do whatever I want. Seems like an amazing life. Of course, we know that this doesn't bring true joy or peace. We know that. But I'm just trying to draw out the idea that inheritances are typically something that we anticipate. We look forward to receiving these things or we wish that we had these things. Well, the God of all creation, he does have an inheritance. And what is it? What is the thing that he anticipates and looks forward to receiving? You. It's you. He looks forward to receiving you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because we don't deserve to be viewed in that way. We definitely don't, but he loves us. He loves us. So verse 18 says that we are his inheritance. And verse 19 says that his power toward us is boundlessly great. He has given us great power. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says that we're being protected by God's power through faith. We who believe are being protected by God's power, but that power is being provided through our faith. It's another one of those things that we discussed last week if you were here. You know, we talked about, well, well is it God or is it you, Right? Well, well, what is it? Is it God's power that's protecting us, or is it our faith that's protecting us? Do you guys remember what the answer was last week? Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Yes. The answer is always yes. There seems to be two opposing viewpoints. But the writers don't feel necessary to reconcile the two, so the answer is yes. Yes. God's power through our faith is providing us with the protection until we reach our inheritance. So I refer, always refer you back to Philippians. Work out your salvation. Seek the Lord. Read your Bibles. Keep fellowshipping. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. This is how we fight the enemy of our souls, and this is how we grow closer to God. So God saved us by his grace and his mercy to a living hope. He is our inheritance. We are his, and we are being protected by his power through our faith for salvation. And we look forward to this salvation. We look forward to this salvation that will be revealed to us one day, which brings us to our second point, rejoice. So let's read verses 6 through 7 in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, 
glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what, what, are, what are they greatly rejoicing about? He's writing to, to believers. What are they greatly rejoicing about? What did we just read in the previous verse? They are greatly rejoicing in the fact that they have been born again, and they are going to receive God as their inheritance when they finally enter into heaven. This is why we greatly rejoice. This is why we greatly rejoice. Even though we're going through various trials, even though we're facing hardship, even though we're facing great loss, even though we're suffering, we can still rejoice. Some, may be, some people may be tempted to think, well, no, you don't, you don't understand. My struggle, my hardship, my trial, the thing that I'm going through is different. It's different. I'm not going through your typical little trial, your typical little struggle. Oh, yeah, that's nice. You, you broke up with your boyfriend. That's cute. But what I'm going through is the real deal Holyfield drama right here. So don't expect me to still greatly rejoice in the midst of my hardship. While I'm not trying to diminish anybody's hardship or invalidate anybody's trial, but the Holy Spirit through Peter, makes no such distinction between trials. There's no level and degree of trials. There's no one trial is, is going to be worse than the other. It doesn't say, in this you greatly rejoice, unless, of course, you're going through, insert your struggle here. It doesn't say that. It says, greatly rejoice, though you are distressed by various trials. The Greek word for distressed means to make sorrowful, to distress, to cause grief, to offend, to make uneasy. And the Greek word for various means various sorts, various kinds, all kinds, of all kinds. So the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying, greatly rejoice, even though you are being made sorrowful, even though you are grieving, even though you are offended, even if you are uneasy, even though you are distressed by any and all kinds of trials, still rejoice. Why? Because it's temporary. All of this is temporary. We are not of this world. If you are a believer, you're not of this world. This world is not our home. We're citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And we have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. And he is waiting for us. Our inheritance is waiting for us. And this inheritance who is waiting for us chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He died for us. He set us apart. And all of this was settled before Genesis 1, chapter 1, before anything was created. So if he chose us and had our salvation settled before the foundation of the world, don't you think that he's already aware of whatever hardship that you're facing right now? Of course he is. Again, I'm not trying to diminish or invalidate whatever you're going through. Actually, quite the opposite. Read again what it says in verse 7. It says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whatever trial you are facing, or whatever trial you're going to face, God is using it to refine you, to test you, to validate your faith. Now, let, let's read verse 7 without that little thing that's in between the commas. It says, 
so that the proof of your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that the proof of your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This goes back to what I was talking about when we looked at the living hope. You know, when those without Christ suffer hardship, when they face trials, what's the result when they get through it? Like, what's, what's, what do they get when they go through their hardships and their trials? Life experience, life wisdom, an increase in their ability to face challenges, sure. But to what end? To what end? They're still going to die and face judgment without the Savior and be condemned to the lake of fire for all eternity. You can say that it's all for nothing. Like, yeah, great, you're a stronger person now, but you're still not strong enough to take the weight of your sins on your back. You're going to be destroyed. You need a Savior. You need forgiveness. But us, us, when we go through trials and hardships, we get the life experience, we get the wisdom, we get the personal growth, but we also have a living hope. We have a living hope that will result in praise, glory, and honor to God, our inheritance. When we stand before God and finally see all things as he does, when we look at the trials and the hardships from his perfect eternal perspective, I know that we'll praise and worship him for every single struggle that we faced. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians 13, Paul, he's talking about the difference between where we are now and where we will be in heaven. First Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read verses 8 through 12. It says that, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So when we stand in God's presence, knowing everything the way that he knows it, Seeing all of the circumstances that were a burden to us while we were on earth, but then seeing the reasons for it in heaven, we will worship him for it because it all served to make us more like him, to make us holy. How do I know that? Because of the words in 1 Peter 1, chapter, or verse 7, that are in between the commas. So if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, we'll read the whole thing again so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That wording is interesting. The wording is interesting. More precious than gold, which perishes though tested by fire. More precious than gold, which perishes though tested by fire. What am I trying to point out? Peter says that gold perishes. Gold perishes. When people think of gold, they think of like this super strong metal that's like thick. It hurts when it gets thrown at you, especially like in an argument. Like if your wife throws it at you and you say something dumb, I'm just, I've never done that. 
that's never happened in my household. However, my sisters are crazy, and I've said some dumb things to my sisters growing up, and I've had things thrown at me. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, most often, you know, people think of gold as like this hard thing, but most often gold is mixed with other metals. Gold is mixed with other metals or alloys to give it that hardness and, and durability that we associate with gold. The gold that, that was found in the tombs of the pharaohs and all that stuff, according to the, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, much of that gold was, uh, that was found was mixed uh, with other metals like silver. Although gold is a precious metal and it is resistant to tarnishing and to oxidation and will pretty much last forever, um, it will perish in, in, in the end of the world sense. Gold will perish. At, you know, when God comes and just destroys the earth and brings in a new heaven and a new earth. Also, did you know that gold is actually the softest, most malleable metal known to, human, known to man? It is the softest, most malleable metal. It's so soft and malleable that it can be hammered into sheets so thin that a pile of them an inch high would contain more than 200,000 sheets. 200,000 separate sheets. That's how soft and malleable gold is. Pure gold. Pure gold. That's also known as 24 karat gold. Pure gold is very soft. And pure 24 karat gold is also very easy to scratch. Very easy to scratch, very easy to bend, very easy to tear. So it's, it's actually quite sensitive. Um, so although gold will last forever, it's, it's actually physically very weak and will also come to an eventual end when the world ends. But despite this, gold is still counted worthy to be put into the fire to be purified, to remove all of the imperfections. So if perishable gold is worth the effort of putting in the fire for purification, then certainly your faith, which will last forever, is worth putting in the fire for purification. And that's the point. Through these difficulties, through these trials, God is refining your faith. He's refining you. He's purifying you. He's removing imperfections. He's molding you into his image so that when you stand before him, receiving your inheritance, you will praise, glory, and honor him for being so involved in your life, and even in spite of you. And before we move on to our third point, I just wanted to call to your attention uh, to verse 6 again. Let's look back at verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. If necessary. The Greek word that's used there, where it says if necessary, it's a word that means to want, to desire, to ask a thing asked for. And the reason I want to zero in on this is that a lot of times we'll ask ourselves as we're facing a trial, like, why is this happening? Like, why? Like, everything was going fine. Everything was good. But then all of a sudden, this is happening. Why? Well, perhaps your faith is asking for it. Perhaps your faith is asking for it. In order for you to grow in a specific area, in order for you to be made more holy, and pure, your faith will want, desire, or ask for a trial. You personally may not be asking for it, but your faith is asking for it. God will use trials, if necessary, to refine you, to purify you. Gold is purified through fire. 
your faith will also be purified through fire. So whenever you're experiencing these things, just know that there's ultimately a reason for it. If you believe in God, if you're a born-again believer, if you have been given the right to be called a child of God. This isn't for everybody. Remember we read last week, only those who believe and receive Jesus Christ have been given the right to be called children of God. It's not, it's not, it's not everybody. You must be born again to be a child of God. But just trust that there's ultimately a reason for it. You don't fully know it now, but you will in eternity. It's foggy right now as you're going through it, but it will be clear in eternity. Why? God causes all things to work together for your good. Not for your pleasure or contentment necessarily, but for your good for sure. Amen? Amen. And so this flows into our third point, our final point, upward focus. So let's go to, again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I just want to read it again in the New American Standard Bible. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly would rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. In John 20, after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus was running around appearing to, to a bunch of people, including his original 11 disciples. Of course, there, there were 12, but Judas, you know, hung himself because he betrayed the Lord. So he was appearing to, to a bunch of people. But there was one guy, Thomas. Some of you guys may be aware of Thomas. Um, this guy gets a bad rap. Like, why? He's, we, they, they call him Doubting Thomas. Like, I'm sure he wasn't the only one who doubted. I'm sure a lot of people doubted. But anyway, Thomas, he still hadn't seen him. And he couldn't believe uh, that, he had, that he rose from the dead, that Jesus rose from the dead, even though many people had witnessed it. Many people saw the resurrected Jesus, but he still didn't believe. He even said, unless I see, unless I see the scars and put my finger into the scars, then I'll believe. First of all, that's a little weird and morbid. Like, uh, yeah, anyway, that's weird. But beyond that, Thomas was just refusing to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, even though that's what Jesus said he was going to do. Like, literally, Jesus said, I will rise from the dead but he, wouldn't, he wasn't believing. And many people had witnessed it, and he wasn't believing. So Jesus, he appears to the disciples. Again, this time Thomas is present. And Jesus goes to Thomas, and he says, all right, I'm here. Put your hands in my scars. Go ahead. He does. He believes. And they all live happily ever after. But then Jesus says to Thomas, because Thomas believed after touching the scars, Jesus says, because you have seen me, have you believed? Like, blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. Blessed are those who didn't see me, the proof, and still believed. Because that's the true faith being exercised. And so Peter is writing to these people, the people that he's writing to, the original audience of this letter. This is approximately 30 years after Jesus resurrected and ascended back into heaven. So these people he's writing to, 
I mean, they could have seen Jesus if they were in Jerusalem at the time. I'm certain that there were some people old enough who could, who, 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 uh, who could have been able to see Jesus when he resurrected and appearing to everybody, but they hadn't. Peter says they, they hadn't seen him, but that didn't stop them from believing in him. That didn't stop them just because they didn't see the resurrected Christ. That didn't stop them from believing in the resurrected Christ. And not only believing him, but also loving him. Loving him. How is it possible to believe in someone and love someone that you have not seen or met? How is this possible? Well, because the someone that we're talking about is the creator God of the universe. And he draws us to himself by his spirit. He pushes us to faith. And in that faith, he recreates our hearts. He causes us to be born again. He regenerates us. And we know that it's not us doing it. It has to be God. I know that prior to myself coming to Christ, being a, you know, a party person, drinking, doing all the things that people typically do when they're in the world, for me to change those desires willingly that, that didn't make sense. As I've told you guys before, you know, a lot of people will usually come to faith, not usually, but some people will come to faith in Jesus Christ because, you know, they hit rock bottom. Not so for me. I was at the height of my sin, and I loved it. I was enjoying my life of sin very much, wasn't bothered by it. But God changed me, and that's how I know it was God because why would I have changed? There was nothing wrong with my life, according to me, but I was dead in my sin. So we believe in him and we love him even though we've never seen him. But he's living inside of us. He's living inside of us. So we know him. But more importantly, he knows us. He knows us. And Peter says, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So once again, Peter is pointing out that the believers he is writing to, that they rejoice greatly. The first time he says this in verse 6, they're rejoicing because their salvation is being guarded by God through their faith. They're rejoicing even though they're going through hardship. And in verse 8, what we just read, he says that they're rejoicing for the same reason. Because they're going to receive the outcome of their faith, the result of their faith, which is the salvation of their souls. And he says that they're rejoicing with inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy. You ever been so happy that you can't even express it? Like you just start crying or something? People start thinking, like, oh, did I do something wrong? <laughs> Why are you crying? I remember before, uh, before my wife and I started dating, as we're getting to know each other, um, we were all hanging out, and um, I think we used to, like, have late nights at pho. At pho. That's how you say it, right? Pho. Um, we used to have late nights at pho and um, just talk about all kinds of things. And it was a group of us. And so, um, you know, we'd just be chatting. And then I would say something. I'd, you know, try to be funny, obviously, you know, because that's, that's how you get girls to like you, right? And so I, I'd try to be funny. And, you know, I would say something. And then she'd start laughing. And then I'd say something else. And she'd be laughing. But then I would say something. And then she would, like, keel over. And, like, her hair, because, you know, if you've seen my wife, she has, like, luscious curls and so she's just like covered by her hair and all you see is like her like body like shaking like this but like there's no noises like there's nothing there's it's just it's just movement 
And I'm like, oh, did, like, did I, like, did I hurt her? Like, did I hurt her feelings? Like, is she crying? Like, what's going on? And, and then eventually she comes up and I realize she's just, she's laughing so hard that she's, she's not making noise. Like, that's just kind of one of the things that she does. And so, joy inexpressible. Like, it was just so much joy that nothing was coming out. Um, yeah, I did that. <laughs> but um, they have inexpressible joy and they're full of glory. They are full of glory, which is to say that they're full of praises. You know, they're full, they're full with attributing to God his, his excellence and his worth. In Psalm 1611, it says, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. You guys need to note that if you haven't and highlight that. Psalm 1611, in his presence is perfect joy, and in his presence is a never-ending delight, a delight that never ends. You never want to leave. Like, you ever been around people or you go to some place to hang out and you're just having so much fun, you're having such a good time that you just don't want it to end? I've been there. Well, multiply that by infinity, and that's God's presence. You never want to leave. And thankfully, for those of us who believe, we never have to leave. Once we're there, we're there. We're never leaving. We're always going to be there. He is our inheritance. We are going to inherit God. We will inherit him forever. So even when you're going through trials, even when you're experiencing various trials, if necessary, even when life gets hard, you still rejoice because the protected guarantee of going to heaven and acquiring your salvation inheritance is that much more real to you than the problems that you're facing right now. This is for, for you, believers. This is for you. If you're, if you're a believer, this is for you. This perspective, this mentality, this way of thinking is for you. That your current trials, your current struggles, because you're going to inherit God, you're still able to rejoice because these problems and trials are temporary, but that inheritance is forever. This mentality and perspective is for you. This freedom from being weighed down by life's struggles and hardships is for you. And I want to conclude tonight's message by letting you all know that if, if this is not something that is true in your life, if, if, this, if this belief, this perspective is not true in your life, and what I mean by that is I'm going through this trial, but I can still rejoice because I have, I have the inheritance of God, and, and that's okay, if this isn't true in your life, then in Jesus' name, something isn't quite right in your life. There's something off. The numbers aren't adding up. I'm not saying that your struggle or your hardship is not tough, that it isn't hard as, as your experience says it is. What I'm, what I'm saying is that you don't need to wallow in it. You don't need to be overtaken by it. And I mean this in the most loving way possible. If you're caught up in a cycle of wallowing and being overtaken by your trials or your struggles and you're a believer, that's a choice that you're making. That, that's a choice that you're making to be overtaken by life's struggles and hardships and not rejoicing still. But you don't have to stay there. You don't. You can choose to rejoice 
you can choose not to be overtaken by your trials. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. As we were reminded last week, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of the believer. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God. And you are overwhelmingly victorious over any emotion or trial that you may be experiencing. And maybe that's a word for somebody who maybe you need to make a decision that is going to bring pain and trial. And you're, you're concerned about that, about making that decision. Make the decision. If it's, if it's for the glory of God, make that decision because you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. But we need to cease being distracted. We need to cease being distracted by the hardships that we're facing. Our salvation ought to always bring us joy and cause us to rejoice even in the midst of hardship. The problem is that we get distracted. I've heard it described like this. God in his greatness is like the sun. God is like the sun. The sun's large, it's powerful, it's blinding. The sun. Our problems are like our hands. And if we try to grab the sun and, you know, toss it, we're going to be destroyed. We can't handle it. We're going to burn. But if we put our hands like this in front of our eyes, now we can't see the sun. How is it possible that our tiny hands are capable of blocking out the sun? I'm looking at you. <laughs> because our tiny hands are capable of blocking out the sun because we're placing them so closely to our face. That's what we're giving more space to. That's what we're allowing and even helping to block the sun from reaching our face. Our problems are right in front of us. We choose to put them right in front of us to block out the glory of God. All we need to do is just drop our hands and focus on the sun. That's all you need to do. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. This is our last scripture of the night. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now those are another set of verses that you need to underline, highlight, put a box around it, whatever. Just there's so much there. There's so much there. So as we close, I'd like to welcome the band back up. But if you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, meaning if you are born again, regenerated, then seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are here on this earth. Seek the Lord. Read your Bibles. Not just when you come to church. Not just when you come to church, but daily read your Bibles. Make time to seek the Lord every day. Repent of any sin in your life. You now have the choice not to sin. You have the choice. You've been set free from your slavery to sin, and the Spirit of God is living inside of you. But if you do stumble and fall, because you will, sometimes you will, Romans chapter 7, we have indwelling sin battling. If you do stumble and fall, repent. Just repent. Rid yourself of these sinful habits, thoughts, and attitudes. You are a new creature. You are not like the rest of the world. You have a new nature. And you have a new home. You're not, you're not a citizen of this country. You are a citizen of heaven. And your inheritance is God. You are going to inherit God. And one day when your life is finished, whether by Jesus returning or by your, your physical death here on this earth, you will enter into eternity with full assurance that your father is waiting to inherit you too. It's amazing. So rejoice in these things. Even though you might be going through some stuff, rejoice because this life is so temporary. This life is so temporary like that. It's a vapor. This life is a vapor compared to eternity. That's forever. This, this vapor, the, the, the decisions that we make in this vapor, they hold great weight for eternity. So let's be wise and purposeful with this vapor that we have here on this earth for God's glory and his kingdom. And let's not be distracted or overtaken by our various trials because it's all working for our good. All of it, it's working for our good. And at the end of the day, we will be with the Father. So I talked a lot to the believers. This letter was written to believers. So this only applies to the believers. So if there's anybody in here who is not a believer, who is not born again, there's some new people in here. I met some of you. Uh, there's other people I feel like I haven't met you before. So I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are with the Lord. But the gospel is this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of this, because of our sin, God's justice must be served. I've said this before. If a rapist gets caught and stands before the judge, and the judge says, I'm a loving and forgiving judge, you're free to go, that will upset you very much. That will upset me very much. 
because this person did something wrong, they need to be punished for it. That's just how it is. God has given us that sense of justice because that's how he is. God is just. And he will judge all the earth. So when you stand before God, because you will, if you stand before God in your sin, then he will judge you based on that sin. The thing is, God doesn't want to do that. He loves you. He loves his creation. He created you and he loves you. But he can't just forgive you. He can't just say, oh, I'm a loving and forgiving God, because then that wouldn't be his true justice. So what did he do? He sent his son to die on the cross. He bore our sins on his body. Our sins were transferred to Christ, and he died for our sins. God poured out his wrath, God poured out his justice on Jesus Christ instead of pouring it out on you. And so now God offers you that salvation. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe what he did on that cross and that he rose again from the dead, then you will be saved. God will impute his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, he will impute it to you. He will give you his righteousness because in that faith in what Jesus Christ has done, he has taken your sin and imputed it to Jesus. There's a transfer. So that's all you need to do. Believe, repent, and then the Bible says that if you believe and you repent, that he will seal you with his spirit. The spirit of God will now live inside of you, and now you have the ability to respond to all of God's callings on your life. Now you, when you read the Bible, it'll make sense. Before, before I got saved, when I would read the Bible, was, what is this? This doesn't make sense. But now that I have the spirit of God inside of me, man, that is, that is the word of God. That is the living and active word of God. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. I pray that you would uh, bless this preaching that went forward. I pray that you would use it for your glory. And I just want to pray for anybody in here who, who doesn't know Jesus, anybody in here who maybe they do know Jesus, but they're kind of in a, in a state of sin, unrepentant sin. Um, if you guys, I'm going to speak to you guys, but if you guys can just keep, you know, your heads bowed and your eyes closed for those who, you know, don't want to be singled out. Um, if there's anybody in here who needs to repent, um, maybe you're a believer and you just feel like, man, I got sin in my life that I need to repent of, uh, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, nothing like that. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. All right, and if there's anybody in here, maybe you don't know Jesus, you have absolutely no relationship with Christ, prior to coming tonight, you're just like, eh, it's a waste of time. But if you heard the gospel and it, and it spoke to your heart and you want to receive Christ, you want to be given the right to be called the child of God, then I want to pray for you as well. So if you would just raise your hand if that's you. Right on, let's pray. Father, I thank you for these people who raise their hands and they, they understand that, you know, you're holy. You're holy. Sin cannot be in your presence. That's why you sent your son to die. 
And so I just pray, God, that you would give these people the strength and the discipline and the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to truly repent of their sin and to turn to you, to seek you in your word, to seek you in prayer, and to seek you in fellowship with other believers. And I pray, God, that tonight would be the beginning of, it would just be a fresh start for them. That maybe, maybe they feel like, uh, I don't know, like they can't come to you because of their sin. Uh, I just pray, God, that you would rid them of those thoughts and that you would uh, shower them in your grace and your love and that they would know how much you love them. God, thank you for being our inheritance. Thank you for being the one that we will enjoy and chase after forever and eternity. But also thank you, God, that you view us as your inheritance. Thank you for that love. And so I just pray, God, that the rest of this night would be glorifying to you, that you would love our worship and praise to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.